Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hey guys, you're listening to Recover Girl. I'm your host, Anna David. This podcast, well, it's available wherever you found it, iTunes, SoundCloud, places like that. And it's being hosted by a girl who wants to get your Facebook messages. Message me on Facebook. You're going to see why I'm asking if you do it. You can, you can just go to the URL m.me slash Anna B. David. That's right. It's m.me slash Anna B. David. The B stands for Benjamin my parents are weird. That's all I can say. Yeah, I have two male names in my name. Did you get that? M.me slash Anna B. David? Anyway, this episode is one of my Facebook Live interviews where I stripped the audio and I'm giving it to you. By the way, I do a Facebook Live interview every Tuesday at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time. If you like my Facebook page, which you can conveniently do if you're messaging me, you're going to get a notification when I do that, just in case this, you know, you don't, you got other things on your mind besides when I'm doing a Facebook Live. Anyway, this was a really special one. The response I got when I did it was pretty spectacular. He's an incredibly inspiring guy. I haven't met him face to face, but I'm going to. His name is John Clint Mabry. He, we get into it. I'm just going to give you the briefest interview. He lost his leg at 18. He later lost a brother to addiction. He's a sober motivational speaker and counselor. He's also in my writing program. Um, I have a writing program where I take 10 writers at a time and show them how to build their platform and write and sell their book proposals. And I'm truly honored that I am helping him with this journey. And um, you can find out, well, we're closed right now, so it doesn't matter. But if you are interested in being a part of that program, the next time I open it up. Hey, you already have the way to message me on Facebook. So that's how you're going to tell me. M.me slash Anna B. David. And now, by the way, audio not great, not perfect because it came from Facebook Live. It's a good opportunity for you to work on your defect of perfectionism. Now this is John Clint Mabry. Hi, I'm Anna David. You are here watching an interview on my Facebook page. I have a very exciting guest with me today, John Clint Mabry. Say hey, John. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Now, we had a, we had a last-minute switch. Um, I had a guest who didn't do a time change thing, so she was on the East Coast, and she didn't know that. Anyway, it's all fine. I'm really excited to get uh, to get John in here, and you're going to find out why as we go. Um, now, one thing I want to say up front, so if, if you have no idea who I am, hi, 
Uh, I'm an author. I'm a New York Times bestselling author of six books. I talk a lot about addiction and recovery and helping people sort of find their dark and share it and in turn find their light, both lightheartedness and, uh, you know, sort of Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything. That's where the light comes in. So that is what we're doing here. Um, and what's exciting about this particular interview is that uh, I have a coaching program for writers where I teach them in the six months how to basically build up their profile and write their book proposal and sell their book proposal. And I, we've, we've got one of my students here. Um, and one thing I should mention, by the way, I'm, I am gonna let you talk, John, is that most people see these interviews after the fact. So even if people aren't chiming in and asking questions here right now, um, they'll be able, able to comment later. Uh, but I do hope some people from your page um, will come over and watch. So you have an incredibly, what what I would call a sort of uh, incredibly low bottom. It's, you know, I've been, I've been sober a long time. I've heard about a lot of stories. Yours is quite extreme. Uh, what was your path? What happened to you? Uh, let's actually, we'll work a little bit backwards. But at, when you were 18 years old, uh, what happened to you? So, um, well, let's see, I was uh, a senior in college in Texas. I was right around 22 years old and I was invincible. I was absolutely invincible. Nothing could stop me. Everything that I set my mind to, everything that I um, uh, put my time and energy into just kind of came um, easily to me. And so I didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, of, of real ups and downs, uh, so I thought. And we can go over some things that happened earlier on in my childhood that I didn't figure out till years later that that really set the tone for um, how I reacted to, to life later on. But uh, senior year in college, I had a full ride scholarship. Um, I was social chair of our fraternity. Um, I mean, things could not be going any better. And I'd set up this spring break trip and I had about 40 friends of fraternity brothers go on this uh, this trip down uh, to the Caribbean. And we come back from the spring break trip riding on this high, everything was uh, going smoother than I could possibly imagine. And seven seconds, uh, six or seven seconds changed everything. It was March 11th, 2000, and I was involved in a, a traumatic car accident, and it was just a freak accident. No drinking or drugs were involved. Uh, we were going down Interstate uh, I-45 outside of Houston, tire blows out in a friend's car, and we rolled 10 times across the interstate. Um, I saw my legs getting crushed. Uh, somehow they got out the window and I saw my legs just getting crushed uh, numerous times and, and thinking really in, in those moments, I thought my life was going to end right then and there. And I told myself, this is it. That, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for waiting for like the color bars at the end of like a movie to, you know, and it was just going to be over kind of flat line. And as soon as the car came to a complete stop, I thought it was it was going to blow up and I was still alive. And so I tried to um, scurry out of the car as quick as I could. And I looked down and uh, my right foot, the ankle was completely split in half and it wrapped around. I could see the bottom of my foot uh, coming up to my shin area. Got in, got out of the car, uh, ended up crawling back in to try to get some of my friends out. And I uh, crawled back out to just kind of, um, I, I, what I thought was just kind of die on the side of the road. And I ended up having a friend die in that accident. They airlifted her up um, in a helicopter and she passed away before even getting to the hospital. Her name was Ashley Furman, and I ended up having 14 surgeries over the course of, of uh, March 2000 to March 2001 to try to save my foot. And, um, 
ended up deciding, uh, having that difficult decision to go on with more and more surgeries the rest of my life. And I was on painkillers and um, was just a, a, a poor quality of life and opted to have my leg amputated below the knee um, a year after that, uh, after that accident. What, what is amazing is how much of it that you remember. Oh yeah. I was conscious the whole time. And that was, that's like one of my biggest regrets is like, why couldn't I have just passed out? You know, why couldn't I have just gone unconscious during that time? But, but, um, seeing, um, seeing the, the, the brutality of my own body parts as well as some of my friends, um, body parts, uh, was, was not something that was, uh, you know, easily, um, you know, able, I wasn't easily able to get over that. And, and how did you remain hopeful while you were, uh, you know, you watched your friend die, you're in the hospital um, having to make a decision about losing your leg. How, what did, did you find some sort of a spiritual power? What did you do? The way I always reacted was to uh, make people laugh. And that goes back to some childhood stuff that we, like I said, we talked about a little bit. It's childhood stuff that um, set the tone for when something bad happened to me, um, I wanted to make people think that I was okay. And I was kind of, my, my MO was make, make sure everything looked okay on the surface, no matter how tumultuous life was underneath the surface, as long as it looked okay on top, then I was doing okay. And so I, I just kind of started popping pills and started drinking um, alcohol uh, on top of that to just kind of skim over and try to slowly beat these uh, physical therapy obstacles that I was under and, and um, surgeries I kept having to go back into. And so it was just constant, just up and down. I'd start getting better, start getting better. Infection would come in. I would go down. Um, and we, I had family support there. Don't get me wrong. I had a, I had a, a ton of, um, of support around me. Um, I didn't want to put them out. I wanted to be able to um, kind of take control of the situation. It felt like that I had control over the situation and um, pushed away help um, when I really, really needed it. And yeah. that did not serve me well in the long run. Um, did you drink before that? Were there signs of alcohol? Spoiler alert, he ended up becoming addicted. Um, yeah. it, were there signs of that before your accident? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, doing the fraternity thing in college, just did normal drinking. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, more than my friends. Um, there was definitely friends that did less, but I, I have maintained a decent GPA. Uh, was involved in, you know, social activities. I was, um, again, I'd earned a full ride scholarship um, as a um, working for the athletic video staff. I got to film football games, baseball games, basketball games, football practices, travel with the team. I got the same scholarship the athletes got. So I was able to maintain uh, some sense of, you know, uh, a normalcy on, on campus. So it was anything over and above what anybody else was doing. Um, but when those pain pills came in, that's when it do you think if it had been for that accident, you might not have developed, it might not have developed into addiction? Possibly, yes. Possibly. But I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could really say that. It may have just taken another instance down the road that would have, that would have been, you know, the catalyst for, for doing that. Well, and as we started off talking before people, before we went live, you were talking about how you've recently, somewhat recently uncovered that there really was trauma that you had no idea about. And that's really a message that you want to share. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So this is something that's really um, become more apparent to me that a lot of people don't know about. 
And it took me over $80,000 in multiple treatment centers and years and years to figure out that um, I had a, uh, I finally realized, okay, I'm dealing with trauma. I'm dealing with PTSD. I'm dealing with anxiety, depression, these things. Why don't I go to a trauma therapist? I was just going to kind of general psychiatrists and psychologists and wasn't making a whole lot of headway. But when I said, you know what, I need to speak to somebody that's trauma specific. And so I found somebody um, real close to me, uh, real close to, to where I live that specialized in trauma, had a 15 minute phone consultation with her. And she changed that changed my whole outlook. And what she said, what we did in that first 15 minutes is I told her what I've just told you guys here um, about my car accident, friend dying, losing my leg, and um, also had uh, uh, my, my brother passed away from uh, an accidental overdose as well, who I found um, uh, years after my accident. So that just added fuel to the fire. But she told me, she goes, look, I, thank you for telling me what you've told me. I'm not real concerned about your brother's death. I'm not real concerned about your leg or your friend's death. What I'm concerned about is what happened to you as a kid. And I just looked at her, or just, I'm on the phone going, who, who what are you talking about? Like I've, I've been to multiple treatment centers. Nobody's ever asked me about what happened to me as a child. My problem is these, you know, this accident and my brother. She goes, no, no, no. Something happened early on to set the tone for how you reacted to these other things. I'm like, man, don't waste my time. <laughs> like, who am I talking to? I was like, I wanted to hang up. My initial thought was, dude, hang up. But I said, you know what? I'm willing to try anything because nothing else is working. My fam, running my family into the ground. I'm miserable. And so I'm willing to try anything. And I, so I started scratching my head. And I said, well, I mean, I, I had these ear surgeries as a kid, but I mean, that wasn't a big deal. And she goes, boom. That's where I want to start when you come in with your first meeting with me. And so come to find out over the course of several sessions with her, um, I, so I have a transplanted eardrum in this ear and the three bones in this ear are prosthetic bones. And so those, that was after multiple um, tubes, yeah, tubes in my ear a couple times. I had hole in my eardrum a couple times. I have three, I have scars back behind my ear where they had to cut and almost pull my ear off to get, get back down in there. Those were major, major um stepping stones for me becoming addicted later on because what happened early on in my life and nobody ever knew it and it was never tracked was I felt insecure. I felt defective. I felt less than something's inherently wrong with me. That's not wrong with other people. Um, and so I started to make people laugh. I, that's how I became this kind of class clown and, and uh, outgoing uh, personality. And you look fast forward to a senior year in high school I was named, my goal is to get class clown. I was like, man, I don't even care if I graduate high school. I just wanted to get class clown. So senior year rolls around prom and they're like class clown, John Mabry. And I'm like, yes, I got it. I go and sit back down and they're like, uh, most school spirited, John Mabry. I sit back down, most outgoing, John Mabry. Best personality, John Mabry. I won four awards that year. And that trauma therapist goes, do you think that has any correlation to the fact that you never really felt good enough? that you always felt less than you were always scared and insecure and fearful of kind of the next bad thing about to happen that you overcompensated it with all these things that you were rewarded with later. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this massive epiphany of, wow, this thing has been following me around my whole life. And I had no idea. My family had no idea. My parents had no idea. We just thought we were going through some surgeries and, you know, just overcoming those obstacles and moving on to the next thing. So now I really take it upon myself when I, when I talk to audiences and with people 
um, uh, around the area and around the country is and to slow down, take a look at maybe there may be some things that happened really early on that you would have never thought made a difference that could be major driving factors for becoming addicted later on down the road. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I think you said this before we started going live, but I think you said uh, there's little trauma tea and big trauma tea. Um, and I think that that is something that people also don't understand, that it doesn't have to be something. It doesn't have to be even as serious as ear surgery when you're a kid. There are so many things that can qualify as trauma. And I think people immediately go, well, no, 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 no. I wasn't abused. Nothing happened to me. That, that, that just, That's not me. And that is not always the case. And there's no shame in admitting it. It's where a lot of the solution can come from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to go through some major ordeal. What it could be is maybe, maybe um, your, your parents promised you at an early, you know, maybe your parents promised you, I'm going to always be at your recitals or I'm going to, I'm going to always support you. And they tell you that, but then on the back end, their job takes over and their uh, life situations take over and they can't always be there for you. And so next thing you know, all your friends are showing up at the recital or at the ball game or at the, you know, uh, cheerleading tryouts and your folks aren't there man, I wish my folks were there. And if that happened time and time again, you start feeling, man, like, man, I, I just don't feel supported. I don't feel supported in the way that I was told I was going to be supported. So yeah, it doesn't have to be major traumas. It can be small little things that add up over a period of time. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when you're a child, uh, you're, you're, you know, in your formative years, you have no idea that the world doesn't revolve around you. By the way, when you're an addict, you also have no idea that the world doesn't revolve around you. But so it, the way you said it, it's like, yeah, dad had to work. Mom had to work. And you, your brain literally cannot comprehend that that is not a rejection of you. That is they are doing that so that you they can afford to send you to that school where you have yeah. that. But um, but I, I think it's fascinating that you who has suffered real capital T trauma is talking about that, <clears throat> that that's your message. I think that's really, really powerful. Oh my gosh. And I just think there's so many people out there that need to hear that message. And we, and, and we're in a society that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're going to be okay. That happened a long time ago. I thought that myself, like, man, that stuff happened so many years ago. And you know what, here's another instance that I rarely talk about, but I think had some kind of impact is when I was a kid, we were going to show some family friends, this uh, river. Um, I grew up outside San Antonio, Texas in this beautiful area, the Guadalupe river. And we drove by to show some friends of ours from uh, Chicago, the river. And we look down and I see this truck that's overturned and what looks like some funky fluid following flowing out of this truck. And I see what looks like legs and a torso, but no head and no arms. And I point down, I said, Hey dad, is that, is that a person down there? Come to find out that was a dead body. A guy had drive, driven off in the middle of the night over the bridge and he had, uh, he had died. And we were the ones that came up and I was the one that spotted that. Didn't think much of it. You know, you just think the news comes out and they say dead body was found. Uh, oh, come find out. Going back to that trauma therapist, she was, is there anything else that happened? And I said, well, I found a dead body when I was a kid, you know, and then, oh, and then what happens? I found dead. I, I found my brother dead from an accidental overdose. Well, of course, those two things are going to match up. You know, they're, they're, there's correlation to the my I just couldn't comprehend all that stuff. So. Are you still in therapy with the trauma therapist? 
Um, not specifically with her. No, um, I was really blessed to have her on, on my podcast. Uh, my podcast is, is high sobriety on, on iTunes. So I had her on just a few weeks ago. Um, and it was so cool to be able to kind of come full circle and, and uh, and have her, have her on. Um, actually, if I'm being at full disclosure, um, I have planning on having my children, uh, go see her at the first of next year when we're going to get through the holidays here and then go have my children see her to, to uh, maybe chip away at some things that, that they may have seen or heard inside our home as I was uh, going to treatment multiple times and, um, you know, seeing dad go away and not really knowing where he was going or how long he was going to be gone for or why he was leaving because we didn't talk about it at first. Um, we do now, but uh, we're, we're going to go and take our kids in and kind of, you know, kind of sort through some stuff before it piles on for decades and decades of uh so and and people who would like to listen to john's podcast you can is that the easiest way to find it addictioncampuses.com slash podcast slash high dash sobriety um yes that or just go to itunes itunes high sobriety that's probably the the most uh readily available way and by the by, John and I are now working together on his career stuff. So he is going to have a le much less unruly link soon enough because he's going to have the website, johnclintonmabry.com. And in fact, if you were hearing this on the on my podcast, because this is being recorded just not just for Facebook Live, but also for my podcast, Recover Girl, let's hope he's got that site up. Let's hope that this man is listening to me and actually has taken action and gotten his site up. Um, because you have such an amazing story to tell and you shouldn't make it so hard for people to find it. I know. Well, I've been scared. I've been scared to put myself out there. You know, I, I've only have um, just under two years sobriety, but, but, but my higher power, my God, you know, who I call God can use me in major ways. I've been kind of scared and I put the brakes on a little bit. And so that's, where we're coming in, in contact with you and having um, your expertise and your encouragement um, is really is really helping me out. So I mean, I just started downloading um, and reading through the the stuff from your course in the last two days. And nice. some of the very first things that you say is get yourself up there online. And um, so I'll be working on that here this week. Yes, and I and I will explain. So I have a coaching program for writers where I take ten at a time through the process of building their platform and then writing and selling a book proposal. And I am so happy that John is one of them. We started communicating a while back. I, what you don't know is that, so we were communicating a while back. I, he uh, told me his story. I couldn't believe it. By the way, we haven't even gotten into the full story. That's like the prologue. Um, and then I was not going to open up my coaching program again until 2018. I opened up the course. I got an email from you that said, hey, you know what? I, I'm interested in the course, but I'm much more interested in working with you directly. And I, and I sort of planted the seed. And then I got two more emails that said that. And I sort of was like, oh, that's how my higher power works. I, so I'm going to start this again. Um, nice. now. And so um, got a few more people and we've got a group and we're starting October 15th. If you are interested in that, uh, we are closed for right now. But if you email me, I can put you on the wait list for the next time I open it. So you can, let me just put, you can contact me Anna at AnnaDavid.com or you can just message me here on Facebook and I can, I can tell you about that. But anyway, let's go back to your story. So you get your prosthetic leg. Yep. Yep. When hit the ground running. Hit, literally hit the ground running. I, I graduated six weeks later uh, with my undergrad diploma from Baylor university on a temporary prosthetic six weeks um, after my amputation. I was said to go conquer the world on a 
I've got my temporary prosthetic. I'm walking the stage. I get my diploma. I said, I'm going to go help other people. Um, not realizing I was really running from my own stuff and not really wanting to look at my own stuff, but I moved out to San Diego to work on a master's in counseling. Uh, it was an amazing experience, amazing program. I got to the end of this. Uh, I got married and I got to the end of this uh, program and said, man, there's no way I'd go help anybody else. At this point, I had not only not only struggling with opioid addiction, but uh, any other prescription pill I could get from my doctor. Uh, I couldn't couldn't focus. So I'm I'm on Adderall. I uh, couldn't sleep from the Adderall. So uh, there's there's marijuana in the mix. There's sleeping pills in the mix. There's you know alcohol and, and whiskey and um, whatever kind of liquor I could find on the surface looking, looking good. Everything was looking okay on the surface. I was helping a nonprofit uh, organization working on masters and I get to the end of this program is like, how am I supposed to go help other people when I haven't begun to help myself? And lo and behold, I got called up to LA um, to work as a body double for my cousin. Um, my cousin's an actor. He's in the show um, on E it's their first scripted series called the arrangement. Uh, they are filming season two right now. I got to plug Josh Henderson's my uh, cousin on uh, ease the arrangement, but I filled in for his body double for a TV show and I got hired on for the series. Uh, I just came up for one episode and I got hired on for the series and found there's a nice, nice little niche in the industry for getting your leg blown off and playing the wounded soldier. So um, got an agent and within a few years uh, was in um, uh, NCIS and worked on ER and JAG uh, brothers and sisters uh, I've got a I've got a <laughs> one line with Jonah Hill and Superbad. If anybody's seen that, I'm the amputee that runs past Jonah Hill on the track scene and curse at him as I run by. And um, so again, everything was looking great on the surface. Uh, it was miserable on the inside, and um, uh, thought I'd reached the top when I got to the Playboy Mansion uh, with Adam Sandler. And there's Hugh Hefner and Adam Sandler having a conversation right next to each other. And I walk up and I'm th- I really wanted to meet Hugh Hefner and security steps in and was like, they just, they had the earpieces in and were like, no, you're not, you don't make the cut. So never did get to meet Hugh. Um, God rest his soul. Uh, did get to hang out and take shots with Adam. Um, but it wasn't just a, a shoot, uh, a few short months after that, that I got a call that my brother didn't show up for work um, in Beverly Hills at his place, um, at his uh, place of work. And so I would go over to his house and uh, literally kicked in his bedroom door and uh, found my uh, my brother, my only sibling, and my best friend. He had been dead for uh, three days from an overdose. And Were you so, drugs together? Um, not really. Uh, we we would kind of like exchange pills, but we kind of had our separate lives. Uh, I was started starting the family, starting a family thing. He was doing his thing. He always did the behind the scenes. I tried to do mine behind the scenes. So we weren't real. You know, we would go out and uh, drink together and go, you know, do do some clubs uh, together in Hollywood. But we weren't, you know, uh, real hard. hard we, we weren't sharing needles or doing doing anything like that. Uh, I never never have done uh, never have done heroin yet. I would have gotten to that point, I'm sure. Uh, but um, did you know how bad his problem was? Yes. Yeah, we did. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I tell people is I don't believe that the drugs killed my brother. I kill. I believe that the stigma associated with addiction killed Matt. And it was the stigma that we didn't, our family, we had certain level of uh, education 
you know, that we were used to having in our family and that we had acquired that and we had goals and we had set those goals and reached those goals. And that um, addiction that kills people, that's for somebody else. That's for somebody who didn't grow up with, um, you know, family going to church, uh, you know, every Sunday. That wasn't for us. So when when it started happening with my brother and started happening with me, we just, you know, we just kept it on the down low. And it absolutely uh, killed my brother by us not saying anything and not, not reaching out for help. And at, the, at this point, you, str- you struggled for how many more years before sobriety took? So that was 2008. Um, I didn't, uh, it was another three years uh, that I continued to go downhill um, before I finally kind of finally raised my hand and said that, man, this thing's bigger than me. I, I need help. Um, by the way, Patrick S. Murray says, what's up, Mabry? Y'all follow this guy. He's great and has an awesome testimony and story. Miss you, buddy. And good job with what you are doing. Thanks, buddy. That's one of my uh, old fraternity brothers. What's up, Patty? Patty? Um, But I want to, you know, I want to test that you are doing uh, public speaking now. And um, that's something that you've really embraced the advocacy I know you've been sort of hesitant to step into this role. What made you have the courage to speak up and start talking? Um, one, it was going to kill me if I didn't. If I didn't just, I felt that I always had a, um, I always had it in me to uh, do public speaking and to speak out. I was so scared to do that. And sometimes, you know, God will put things in your path that makes it uh, easier or that can help lead you to. Uh, bigger and better steps. And for me, what that was, was uh, Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toastmasters is is basically AA or a tw- it's like a 12 step support group for public speaking. And I was so scared to do that. I, I tried, tried stepping into it a few different times over the years, but I finally, um, a couple of years ago said, man, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to go all the way as scary as it is. And so I've been able to get coaching and uh, some regular help and support uh, over the last two years and putting together an effective message, no matter what my audience is, um, to be clear and concise in what I'm trying to share. And um, it has proven to be uh, extremely beneficial. I've actually, uh, in November, I'm uh, be on the cover of Toastmasters magazine and that uh, it's distributed through uh, to 141 countries um, around the world. And I'm coming out to LA in, in a couple of weeks uh, to do a video interview with Toastmasters as well. So, um, that's that's been uh, a big a big part of my journey as well. It's fine. It was reaching out for help. Um, you know, treatment w- was a start for me. Now, I, you know, doing twelve step meetings and and doing support group meetings, I have to have uh, to keep going. Um, I have a, a church, you know, that we go to regularly. Um, I have uh, friends and family members that I turn to. I have Toastmasters. I have the gym that I go to. So for me, it's, it's been piecing together all these different things to help get me from where I am to where I, where I want to go, and I can't do it by myself. Well, speaking of the gym, uh, what you guys don't know yet is that he also does triathlons. How did that start? Yeah, so uh, when I moved out to San Diego, I needed some um, field hours, some field work hours for my master's degree. And uh, the Challenge Athletes Foundation is an absolutely amazing group, life-changing group based out of uh, San Diego. And I just started licking stamps in their office, just looking to get some hours. And uh, it turned into a full-time and then a part-time job or a part-time and then a full-time job. We support athletes, the most elite disabled athletes in the world. And so um, 
one of our big fundraisers uh, each year is, is a triathlon in La Jolla Cove, which is coming up. If you're in the uh, San Diego, La Jolla area, Southern California, come out and see the Challenge Athlete Foundation Triathlon um, coming up on October 22nd is the big triathlon at La Jolla Cove. Um, so uh, started started doing some triathlons with them. Now I'm doing boxing. Uh, my lower legs are kind of taking a beating. My good foot, that I say, my good foot has arthritis in it, so I've got to kind of lay off that. But I am doing uh, title boxing nowadays at uh, uh, doing boxing classes. It's so therapeutic. Oh, my gosh, the most therapeutic um, outlet that I've ever found in terms of uh, fitness is just pounding away at a bag. Um, so <laughs> it's better than pounding away at the holes in the walls that I've done in the past. It's, it's a lot better to go to a gym and get supported in a boxing bag. Um, we're getting such good feedback. Don Nickel, who hey, I don't Dawn. know, do you know Don? She runs She Recovers, um, this which is a fabulous site, Facebook page. They have retreats, they have events, um, and then and also Laura Silverman from the Sobriety Collective has been chiming in. And so thank you all of you who thank are you. chiming in, Alicia. And this is so nice. I just love how people are responding to this because. I, can't, I feel like I know you've been out there, but I feel a little bit like I'm getting to help introduce you to the world. Yeah. Um, um, by the way, you hit a key on your computer. You go dark. Am I going dark? All right. Bear with oh, me here. Only because um, I, I don't know if you guys are noticing that there. Oh, that's so much better. I should have told you this before, but you were so I just didn't want to interrupt you. But yeah, OK, you're much more in the light. And since we are talking about bringing your dark into the light, it really is quite appropriate. Um, now let's talk a little bit about, uh, the book that you're going to start working on. Is there anything that you're going to include in it that we haven't already talked about? Um, I don't know yet. Um, well, I mean, the answer would be yes, because there's, there's things that I have yet to disclose to anybody really um, that I would love to be able to have this outlet as a place to expose some of those things. So I'll keep you on a, on a cliffhanger. So I do know a few things that nobody else knows, uh, not even my parents, that uh, that I would love to to bring out in this book. Um, well, that is a cliffhanger. I'm gonna once we stop being live, I might I might grill you. But no, I you know I get to work with you for six months, so I get to find out first. All right, here, hold on one second. Let me flip on the light real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are in the dark. Um, and and thank you, thank you, Nania. Um, I, I'm so yeah. This is making me so happy how people are responding. Okay, there he is, way more in the light. There we go. And, you know, uh, one thing I was going to say before, too, uh, about when you talked about how Toastmasters is sort of like recovery, you know, it's like free help for public speaking. I find recovery meetings to be that. I do public speaking. I learned how to do it in 12-step rooms. I'd never spoken in public. And then I learned that it wasn't as frightening as I thought it was. Um, and, you know, it's it's amazing the things that you start doing in recovery. <laughs> Do not imagine that when you were being voted class clown and most popular and like parting it up that you ever pictured your life looking like this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I gave, gave a speech at our opening of um, one of our uh, treatment centers. I work with addiction campuses and we opened up a new treatment center last week. And it's crazy because I had that persona, that that funny guy, and you know, just always making a joke. Um, I was able to uh, construct a message that had everybody in the room in tears, 
I had one guy that said, look, I've been in recovery for 20 years and I hear things all the time. You know, I'll get a call from somebody that says, hey, my son just died and I have another son that's on the verge of dying. And, you know, he's he's been around it for so long. He hears it and he, he says, let me let me hook you up with the right resource. And he goes, John, your message had me in tears. He said it needs to be on Oprah. And um, so these are the kinds of things that we do in recovery to push ourselves outside that normal. And I always had this, this silly facade that I was just was haphazard in, in, in my communication and was just trying to make people laugh and to really deflect the pain that I had inside by trying to make people laugh and be funny. And now I can own that. I can bring those, uh, bring those elements of me that I was normally so scared uh, to share and spread those out with the world. And, um, and so that was, that was just really um, uh, meaningful to me this last week to, to hear some of the feedback that I've gotten. And, it, and it's not me. It's, it's, it's God doing for me what I can't do for myself. Right. Well, I, is there anything else we're, we're going to get close to wrapping up. Um, I thank you for, for jumping in and getting rid of your kids. He has this beautiful family. You have three kids. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Three kids, Larson, uh, Austin and Sawyer. And we kind of had to kick them out of the room so that we could do this undisturbed. So thank you for being willing to do that. And um, is there anything else that you want to share with people? Um, like I said, I'm going to stay on him so he gets a website that gets the website, John Clint Mabry. But in the meantime, um, he has a website with, and it's with your whole family, which is. Yeah. So we do, we do try to make, um, we share our truth online, but we also uh, do it in a funny way. And so if you go to Mabry Living, M-A-B-R-Y living.com, my 40th birthday is this weekend. And of any theme that I could choose for my 40th birthday, we are having um, about 50 people come over to our house and dress up as gnomes. I've always wanted to have a family dress up as gnomes and go trick-or-treating, and we've yet to do it. And so I'm like, man, this is it. So 40th birthday, we're all going to be having friends uh, dress up as gnomes. And uh, so follow us on Mabry Living. You'll see those you'll see those photos, but you'll also see hope. You'll also see hope in a family that's been through. Um, I, I've lived in a trailer um, less than two years ago. I was living at a friend's house from our church. Um, but yet I'm back. I'm, I'm able to be back home and, and with my family and, and sharing some some good fun time. So it's a, it's a message of hope that we send out as well. Well, and I'm just going to point out that you're going to be able to do the Halloween this year because you're going to have the costumes. So very smart of you. Exactly. Exactly. Family in their costumes. Um, so, John, I cannot thank you enough. Um, you guys who are watching and listening later on the podcast, thank you so much. If you, uh, I, I always forget to mention this, but I have a new free cheat sheet download of happiness hacks, which are some of the tricks I've learned for accessing joy when I don't feel it. And you can get that. You All you have to do is go to AnnaDavidCoaching.com and, uh, and uh, I will send that to you. Uh, you can also message me here. You can message John. I'm just going to tell them they can message you. And... Um, and if you like this podcast, please go and review it on iTunes. Why the hell not? Um, so, John, thank you so much. Lisa, Don, Shannon, thank you so, so much. Do you have time for one more? Or do you have to run? Four o'clock. Um, sorry, you broke up for a sec. Do you have time for one more one more plug? Oh, one more plug. Go, yeah. All right. Uh, go to, again, High Sobriety iTunes tomorrow. For all my friends out there, I'm going to be interviewing David Sullivan, Patty, 
Patty, uh, who uh, Patrick Murray, who was on here earlier. David Sullivan was one of my pledge brothers in the fraternity. He is on the show Flaked on Netflix with Will Arnett. And his character, their characters are uh, solely based on people who are in recovery and in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'll be interviewing David Sullivan on High Sobriety Podcast tomorrow. So stay tuned with that. So go check that out. By the way, if you're hearing this on my podcast, you missed that episode. It's probably going to have been several episodes ago, but that's the nice thing about podcasts. You can get it later. Uh, awesome. So thank you. Thank- Bye, everybody. See you next week at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you, Bye. Anna.